Well, good morning, church. So glad you've chosen to worship today. Do me a favor, take your copy of God's Word and turn to one of the most familiar chapters in the Bible, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 as we continue this series called Evergreen. Now, why are we calling this Christmas series Evergreen? What is that all about? When I think about Evergreen, I think of something that's unchanging. It's forever green. And that's what we're seeing, that God in his character is unchanging. And because of that, there are some unchanging truths that we can cling to as we journey through life. For example, we have unchanging hope, if all our hope is in Jesus, right? We have unchanging faith if we trust him in those things that we can't see. And today, we're going to see that we can have unchanging joy. But before I dive into that, I I think I need to give you a definition. You need to understand what joy is because there may be some confusion. Is it just when things are going good in our life? When we feel all right? Is it happiness? This time last week, I was preaching in Argentina, and one of the messages that I I preached, I I came out like this. This is a a jacket from the Argentine soccer team, and well, there's a jersey underneath. And and when when I walked out on that stage, even though there were people from all over South America, man, they were really happy, and I just walked out, and they began to clap and cheer, and I was like, man, why didn't my church do that? But then I I watched one of the games there, and I'm just telling you, if if you are are from the United States, if that's your nation of origin, we've missed out on something when it comes to the game of soccer or or football. We don't have the national pride that the rest of the world seems to have around this. I mean, it was electric just being there, even just being in the country while the World Cup is going on. But, But then on Friday afternoon... I managed after a real busy day to come in and catch the very end of the the game of the World Cup where Argentina played the Netherlands. And it kind of came down to the wire, but I was able to see Messi score a goal. And man, he may be the goat in in soccer. I mean, he he is great. And he was so happy when he scored that goal. I I think you can see that. And then I I saw the team uh, score goals, and and they were so excited. They were so happy. Is, Is that joy? No. It's happiness. You see, happiness comes from happenstance. 
It comes from the things that happen to us. But, but joy is different. Joy comes from within. Happiness is different from joy. Joy does not come from feelings based on what happens to us. Joy comes from a deep belief that Jesus is the one who can make all things new. And that's consistent with what we've been learning in the book of Romans, right? That, that we don't live just based on feelings. That, that we don't choose to believe in something based on what we feel. That's what society will teach you. If, if you feel like doing something, man, it's okay because you get to determine your own truth. But we say, no, we don't get to determine truth. That's outlined for us in Scripture. We have doctrine. We have theology. So we believe our way into our feelings. As followers of Christ, we don't feel our way into beliefs. We believe our way into feelings. So how does that help us understand this balance between happiness and joy? Well, um, have you ever been to the happiest place on earth? Well, that's what they call it. I mean, Disney. I, I can remember when we first moved here the first time we were driving under that big arch going into Disney. And I mean, the kids were counting down in the car, five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Disney. And you're happy when you go in there and and when you come out and you realize how much you spent, you're not happy anymore. But I, I did something just for fun. I, I Googled unhappy people at Disney. And it's amazing what you see. Not everybody at Disney is happy. So even, even the happiest place on earth doesn't necessarily bring happiness. Nor does it bring joy. So, so what is joy? Years ago, I began to be influenced by a pastor in Southern California. He wrote what to this date has been the best-selling nonfiction book other than the Bible of all time called The Purpose Driven Life. He's a pastor of a church, kind of like ours. His name's Rick Warren. It's real practical, just reminding us that, that, that God has a purpose for each of us, but he and his wife went through something traumatic several years ago. Their son in his late 20s took his life. And so they encountered something that no parent should ever deal with. The loss of a child. Coming out of that, Pastor Rick's wife Kay wrote a book called Choose Joy. Say that with me. Say choose joy. Choose joy. That's what I'm going to ask you to do today. And in that book, she defined joy in a specific way. Listen to how she defines it. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. Did you catch that? It is the settled assurance the quiet confidence, and the determined choice. It's something I believe, but it's also something I choose. And joy is a consistent theme throughout the Christmas story. So it's easy at this time of the year to, to remember that because of God and what he's done in the person of Jesus Christ, we can experience joy. So with that in mind, let's read through Probably the most familiar words in all the Bible. 
the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And and let me just stop there and tell you that this is a reminder, man, that God has always been working his plan. And so if if we read through scripture, and and some of you are like me, you're coming to the end of a, a year where you've read completely through the Bible. If you read through the Bible you can see that God has always been working to bring about his presence in the life of his creation. That's that's you and me. And that's what's remarkable about the Christmas story is is that the events that we read about and and that we really celebrate this time of year are, are something that God did for us throughout history. So let's pick up in, in, in verse five. It's actually, yeah, verse five. He, he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And if you can just zero in for a moment, that is what I want you to get. There is good news that brings great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And notice what happens. Remember what we learned earlier about the shepherds? They were terrified. Now the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now let's rewind, and I want you to focus on verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. But, what's the but after? It's after we've just learned that the angels are t- or the shepherds are terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. This is a simple message. In fact, it's a little different. Often in here, we're journeying through a passage of Scripture uh, just verse by verse. We've been doing that in Romans. I mean, we may even get stuck on a word and just hang out there a little bit. This is a little more topical. We're looking at this 
chunk of scripture, but we're taking out this topic of joy and seeing how the Bible supports what we need to see there. And so there's a simple, a simple truth I want you to get. So if I were you, I would take pen or pencil or lipstick or mascara or Crayola or my thumbs on my device, and I would jot this down because it's easy, it's applicable, it's for you and me. Here it is. Don't be afraid. Choose joy. Isn't that easy? Let's say that together. Don't be afraid. Choose joy. One more time. Don't be afraid. Choose joy. Now, why would the angel say this? It's simple. You can't be fearful and joyful at the same time. If fear comes in the front door, joy goes out the back door. Distress is the opposite of delight in our lives. And so just in the Christmas story alone, we, we see about seven times we're told, don't be afraid. Someone's done this study and they found out that at least 365 times in Scripture, we're told, don't be afraid. At least once for every day, God's Word tells us, don't be afraid. Because fear robs us of joy. So what do we fear? Here's what I've learned. There are a lot of things we fear. We fear problems. We fear some people. We fear which path we should take. Where do I go? And, and we fear what's going to happen because of our past. And, and these things come into our life and we begin to leak joy. That, that's why the psalmist would have to pray, Oh God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And in the presence of that fear, of all that escape of joy, God is saying to us, don't be afraid. Choose joy. Now, this is not just a cliche or a happy thought. Why does it say that? Why shouldn't we be afraid? How should we choose joy? He answers in the scriptures. The angel told them, there is good news. Say that. Say, there is good news. There is good news. So I, I began to think about this as I read this passage. Is this a consistent theme, this good news? Now, now we, we're told what the good news is, right? The angel told them, there in Bethlehem is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the good news is there's somebody coming that is helping you out. You have somebody who's going to save you. What did they need to be saved from? Same thing you and I need to be saved from, sin. He, he was the Christ. That means he's God's chosen way. Aren't you thankful that God chooses a way for you? And then he's the Lord. You know what that means? He's like the king of kings. He is in control. So that's the good news. That's why they don't need to be afraid. That's why they should choose joy. So I begin to think, what about the other Christmas accounts? And I turned to the book of Matthew. And in Matthew, like Luke, we have a more detailed account of, of what takes place at Christmas. And so I started reading in Matthew chapter 2. And in verse 7, the, the, we've, we've learned about the wise men. And, and now they've gone to Herod because he summoned them. And it says this, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And so he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And then verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were what? Wow. It's that word again. And then I thought, hold on. Did you catch it? It's Matthew 2.10. In Luke 2.10, I was told that the shepherds don't need to be afraid. They need to have great joy because there's good news. Now, in Matthew 2.10, I found out that even the wise men, when they go and walk toward Jesus, they find joy. Now I was on to something. There are four Gospels. And I began to wonder. Now, Mark's different and, and John's different. They don't give us the detailed account of this. So I wonder what happens in the book of Mark when, it, when we get to chapter 2 and, and verse 10. Now, in, um, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus has already begun to minister. And he's already begun to heal people. And he heals someone. And then in Mark 2.10, it says this, I, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then it hit me. Oh, wait a second. That was the good news that brings great joy. In Luke 10.2, that was the person who made the wise men overjoyed in Matthew 10.2. And then I thought, holy cow, I wonder what John is going to say. Now, I knew John is not typically where we read the Christmas story because John begins like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and so we try to wrap our mind about that. And man, you jump into John, and, and Jesus is an adult, and he's performing miracles. In fact, in John 2, I knew that that's where we have the first miracle of Jesus. What's the first miracle of Jesus? He went to a wedding. There was a big party. Everybody was having fun until they ran out of wine. And then they came to Jesus, and he turned water into wine, and it amazed everybody. And so then in John 2.10, it says this. Typically, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, Jesus, have saved the best till now. And, and, and then I just begin to think and smile. You know, that's why I can have joy because Jesus really does want me to experience his best. In spite of what's going on around me, in spite of the people that may frustrate me, in spite of the uncertainty of where I'm going, in spite of the past that I've experienced, Jesus really does want me to find his best for my life. So I don't need to be afraid. I can choose joy. You know, what about you? Have you chosen joy? I, I think the fear that gets us most, I, I really think the fear that is the greatest is that fear that causes us to think maybe we won't be with God. So, so before I give you some real practical application, I, I just want to remind you that that's the heart of the good news. In Romans, we learned that the Bible tells us that we're all sinners, right? That's Romans 3.23. All of us have sinned, and we've missed out on God's design. We've fallen short. No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, we are all sinners. And then in Romans 6.23, we learned that the, the 
payment, the wages, the punishment of sin is death. And then in Romans 5 and verse 8, we learn that even though there's that punishment for sin, God doesn't want us to experience that. So it says God demonstrate his love in that even though I'm still a sinner, Christ died for me. And then in Romans 10 and verse 9, it, it tells me that if I would confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I'll be saved. And then in verse 13, it even says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved when I think through that, I realize, wow, that is good news. So the greatest fear that I could ever have, the, the biggest thing that I would worry about, I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid. I can choose joy. And if I can choose joy in light of that, I can choose joy in light of anything. So I want to invite you to do something simple, and then we're going to dive in, and, and I'm going to teach you a little bit today that I think will help you. But I want to invite you to apply the 210 principle, right? Luke 210 was, uh, don't be afraid, choose joy. Matthew 210 was, they were overjoyed. Mark 210 reminds that God forgives us of our sins, so if he does that, we can find joy in anything. John 2.10 reminds us that his best is available for us. So let's do this. What if, at least for this week, every afternoon at 2.10 p.m., we pause and we just pray this. Jesus, regardless of the circumstances around me, I choose joy. Now, I'm about to catch you off guard because I'm going to ask you to make a commitment earlier in the service than I normally do. Because this is so practical. It's the 210 principle. I'm going to ask you, if you would join me, maybe you just set a notification on your phone, a reminder, and say at 210 every day, I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray. Jesus, regardless of the circumstances, I choose joy. All right, who will make that commitment right now? Let me see your hands. All right, there's a few of you saying, no, I'm going to choose misery, but that's okay. Um, let, me, let me pray for all of us real quick. So, Father, again, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for the chance to choose joy. Oh, God, um, I, I, I know, Lord, that journey through those second chapter and tenth verses of the gospel, that, that's probably silly, but what's not silly is the, the reality that, that you give us reason for joy. Jesus, because you've come, you, you've taken away the reasons for fear. So, Lord, I just pray as we talk through this for these next few minutes that you provide some miracles of joy. Let my words be your words, my thoughts be your thoughts. And, and Lord, as a result of what we're going to say, would you allow somebody to experience the joy of knowing you today? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If, in fact, it's possible for us to lose joy, we need to know what causes that, right? If you're, if you're driving down the road and, and you notice your, air, your tire keeps losing air, you want to find out what's causing that. If we keep losing joy, we want to find out what causes that. So, Let's do that. Let's spend a few minutes talking about why we lose joy. I'm going to give you four things and then four examples 
of God's good news. Number one, we lose joy because we're unsettled by life's problems. It's simple. It's the circumstances around us. The happenstance of life. I I told you we're happy if things good happen to us. Raise your hand if anything good's ever happened to you. Let me see your hands all across the room. You should be raising your hands. Everybody needs to stretch. So that's at least a few of you said nothing good has ever happened to me. Let me just tell you some good news today. The Bible says God is good and he does good. So whoo-hoo. Now let's try that again. Uh, If you've ever had anything good happen to you, let me see your hands. That should be all of us. A couple of you still really stubborn or either you're not understanding my English. All right. So um, if you've ever had anything bad happen to you, let me see your hands. Yeah, see, that's all of us too. The, the truth is, good things happen, bad things happen. And when those bad things happen, man, if we're not careful, it's like a gut punch. I mean, we lose it. We don't, we don't know how to go forward. So what do we do? Did you know in the Bible we meet the brother of Jesus? At least the half-brother, James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He, he wrote a book in the Bible that we read, the book of James, History records that he was not a follower of Jesus during Jesus' earthly life. In fact, could you have imagined growing up in the same house with Jesus? I mean, I wonder how many times Mary or Joseph said, why can't you be more like your brother? I mean, good grief. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he began to follow after him. He became a pastor. He pastored the church at Jerusalem. And so he writes this letter that we call the book of James in the Bible. And he begins it by talking about joy. And listen to what he says. Consider it pure joy. Say pure joy. Oh, that's what I want. I want pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, do you see how this begins? Consider it pure joy. When you face trials. Don't you wish that was different? Don't you wish it said, if by chance you happen to have a bad day? But it doesn't say that. It says, when. And that just tells me, I am going to have trials in life. And literally, it's a word that means testing time. And we don't like testing times. Because when I'm in a testing time, you know what that means? I might fail. I might not make it through this. I may not come out the other side. And yet this verse tells me those are going to be a part of life. There'll be people I love that pass away. There'll be doctor's visits that give me news I don't want to hear. There'll be relationships that end differently than I had hoped. There'll be jobs that don't work out. And on and on and on. So what do I do when the problems of life push in on me and they begin to rob me of joy? Because that happens. Well, I look for the good news. And what's the good news? When problems start to rob our joy, we must lean into God's sovereignty. 
You know what this passage teaches me? It's that reminder that I've given you time and time again. God's never caught off guard by the circumstances of our life. That's why I tell you, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He never says, wow, I didn't see that coming. Oh, I wish that wouldn't have happened. No. God knows what's coming down the pipe. So we can lean into his sovereignty. In fact, James gives us three things to help us when we feel like life circumstances are overwhelming us. First of all, he says, rejoice. Say rejoice. Now, that was a hard one. What do you mean? I think he's telling us to look within and and ask God to give us joy in spite of the circumstances. So how do we do that? He tells us that too. It's request. Say request. It's James 1, 5. This is a good verse to memorize. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you generously. So I'm going through a problem. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through one of life's testing times. I don't think I can make it through. And so what do I do? Oh, God, I can't do this without you. I can't do it without your help. I need your assistance. And then after we've prayed, what do we do? We relax. We've got to trust him. In these verses, he goes on to tell us that you you can't be double-minded. Don't ask God to do something and then doubt and wonder whether or not he's going to do it. I wish you could have been with me and Pastor Zach yesterday after our morning prayer time. We went on a prayer walk around our campuses. And I'm just telling you, we ask God for some big things. Why? That's what you're supposed to do. And then then we said, okay, how are we going to make this happen, right? Nope. Because our job was to request. It's his job to answer the request. After we request, it's our job to relax. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, I probably don't. But I could just tell you, I've had an unusually difficult week. I know those sometimes come. I've had moments even this week where I felt like giving up. And it's in those moments that I have to rely on verses like Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We lose joy when we're unsettled by problems. But I've also noticed we lose joy because we're uncomfortable with people. Right? You follow me? There are people in our lives that cause us to leak joy. Um, have you ever come in contact with somebody like that? I mean, a person that just takes the zippity doo dah out of your day? I mean, everything's perfectly fine. I mean, you're just pushing your buggy through Publix and you think everything's wonderful and you turn the aisle and all of a sudden, ah. That may or may not be a true story. But they're joy thieves, right? People that just zap us. It's like they're just taking away our joy. Whether it's because of how they act, what they say, the looks they give you. What do you do? Well, we look for the good news. What's what's the good news? When people begin to steal our joy, that's when we must lean into God's grace. 
Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Church, aren't you thankful for God's grace? Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Here's what happens if we're not careful. And this always causes joy to leak from our life. Someone hurts us. And we become bitter. And that never works out. And church, we've, we've got to hang out here. Because I'm probably talking to a lot of you today. You've let that seed of bitterness just sit within you. You get angry, you get mad, your blood pressure goes up. If you're not careful, your back begins to hurt because you're carrying a burden. That's why I often remind you, and no one really knows where this quote originated, but bitterness is that poison that we drink while we wait for another person to die. You know what that means? That means you're sitting in your house in your lazy boy and you're just thinking, better hope God doesn't strike them. And you're just bitter and you're resenting them. And you know where they are? They're at Krispy Kreme ordering a second dozen of donuts. (laughs) They're in the drive-thru at Starbucks saying, I I want a triple venti, non-fat, caramel macchiato with whip. I mean, they're not thinking about you. Resentment is our most useless emotion. You can be angry and there be righteous anger. There is no righteous resentment. It's not helpful. That's why Ephesians 4 and verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ our God forgave you. Oh, friend, let me remind you today. A Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. Lean into God's grace. You say, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. And and you know what? Sometimes you're right. But neither do you. And neither do I. You see, you get to decide. You can be blessed or you can be bitter, but you can't be both. What's it going to be? We lose joy because we're unsettled by problems. We lose joy because we're uncomfortable with people. I don't know, though. This may be the biggest one. We lose joy because we're uncertain about our path. I can't tell you how many people will come to me and say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Whether it's in my job or my marriage or my education or with my friends or with my family, I don't know what to do. And so I've learned that confusion is a joy thief because confusion creates anxiety and anxiety literally means to be pulled in one direction and to be pulled in another direction and you feel like you're being pulled apart. And it's hard. That's why the Bible says be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and, and then the peace of God that 
that just confounds human understanding begins to guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And you know what Philippians 4 says right before those verses? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. You, you see when we let that confusion about the future rob us of joy. We've, we've missed out on what God intends us to do. So when questions about the future begin to rob us of joy. We must rest in the presence of God. Aren't you thankful that you can be in the presence of God? That's the gift of Jesus we celebrate at Christmas. That's the gift of Jesus we celebrate at Easter. That's the gift of Jesus as Christ followers. We celebrate 365 days of the year. You don't have to come to a pastor or a priest. or You don't have to go to a specific geographical location. You can be in the presence of God. And that gives you confidence. Why? Because according to Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, he's not changing. He's faithful. When we were unfaithful, he hadn't changed. When we're confused, he's not confused. That's why we sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. I know what you're thinking, oh, but pastor, if only, if only he would give me a map. If I just had a map. Think you want a map? You don't want a map. You know why? It's like that theologian said in that movie, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Can you imagine if we knew what was coming? Can you imagine if, if, if you knew, oh, you can't do anything about this, but in 12 months your spouse is leaving. Hey, don't try to change this, but in, in, in six days you're going to get a terminal diagnosis. I know this is going to catch you off guard, but in, in eight weeks... You're going to lose your job. I mean, can you just imagine if, if we dealt that way? We can't handle that. I, I love what Rick Warren says. He, he says, he doesn't give us a map, but he does give us a compass and a guiding light. You know what the compass is? We got it right here. That's why as a child I learned I have hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. And then I learned his word is a, a light unto my feet and a lamp for my path. He'll guide you. You've just got to trust him. You've just got to lean into who he is and rest in his presence. I, I haven't always done that. I'm going to tell you one story. I could tell you 50. I was graduating from seminary. Kimberly and I were praying about what was next. And I had this interview with this guy named Jay in Montgomery, Alabama. And I thought, this is it. It was a church that would allow me to, to preach regularly and just grow as a communicator, to lead a ministry and grow as an administrator, to, to serve and develop those pastoral skills and not worry about being fired <laughs> and then be kind of booted out, kind of like a residency in medicine, then be booted out in, into a pastorate. I just knew, oh, thank you, Lord, you provided an opportunity. Everything was going great until the phone rang one day and it was my 
new friend Jay on the phone. He said, hey, Paul? I said, yeah, Jay, how are you doing? Good, good, Paul. Hey, I just want to let you know. I was getting so excited. He said, I just want to let you know we're going a different direction. Oh, my heart sank. Man, I, I didn't handle that well at all. Even as I thought back about that for this message, man, I'm embarrassed <laughs> for the way I acted around my new young wife. The way I acted around God, I was angry at God. I didn't understand. I cried like a seventh grade little girl. And then I just waited in the wilderness. About two weeks later, my phone rang again. It was Jay from Montgomery. You know what he said? He said, hey, Paul. I said, hey, hey, Jay. <laughs> Real joyful. He said, hey, have you taken another position? I said, no, sir. No, I haven't. He said, hey, I just wanted you to know, I think God's just pointing us back to you. I'd like you to come and be a part of what we're doing here. Man, I hung up that call and I just reminded, man, how often do we go through life and get so frustrated, get so upset and, and lose our joy where if we would have just leaned into Jesus, he would have taken care of us. God's not going to give you a map. It'd scare you to death. He's not always going to answer the why question. But he'll give you what you need. Your daily bread, the daily grace, you can trust him. We lose joy because we're unsettled by our problems. We lose joy because we're uncomfortable with people. We un lose joy because we're uncertain about our path. And here's the final thing. We lose joy because we're uneasy with our past. Yeah, if you've lived long enough, this is, this is you too. Let me see your hands now if, if you've made some choices you wish you could go back and undo. <laughs> That's an, it's kind of an easier one. Man, we've blown it. And you think, God will never forgive me. You're, you're kind of like a guy, I'll call him Muhammad, but he's a guy from an Islamic background. And Pastor Zach was telling me he'd been regularly just sharing the grace of Jesus. But repeatedly, this, this guy, we'll call him Muhammad, he, he would say, hey, if there is a holy God, there's no way he could show me grace. That would not be right with all that I've done in my life. And time after time, Pastor Zach would say, no, that's exactly who Jesus is. That's exactly what God does. And that's exactly the grace that he wants you to experience. And one day it's like, the light switch came on and his eyes were open and his heart was open and, and he received Christ and he received God's grace because he understood that God does that which doesn't make sense. God shows grace to sinners like me and you. So even when it comes to our past, we can say we're not going to be afraid. We're going to choose joy. Like the old gospel preachers used to say, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Tell him to go to hell. Let me make that statement in a little more of a redeemed way. <laughs> when memories of our past begin to rob us of joy, we must rely on the finished work of Jesus. That's the good news.
Remember, that, that's what we learn in Luke 2, 10 and 11. Look down at verse 11. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He's the Savior, the one who deals with your sin. He's the Messiah, the one chosen by God. He's the Lord, the boss. And this one who was born, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, 33 years later would die on a cross. And in John 19 and verse 30, it says, Jesus on that cross said, it is finished. You probably heard that, but in the language that he spoke, Jesus used a word, tetelestai. It's an accounting word for those of you who are more in that realm of life. It literally means paid in full. And so Jesus was saying, just to be clear, I'm doing everything that needs to be done. All you got to do is trust me. Isn't that good news? Now are you getting it? While the problems of life or people in our life or what are we going to do? What path are we going to take in life? Or, or our past in our life, while those things may rob us of joy. When, like the shepherds, we keep walking toward Jesus, we can choose joy. When I think about that, I, I think of the example, the testimony of my friend, Pastor Gary and sweet Miss Lynn McNeil. This time last year, they were walking through a difficult journey. Listen to their story. I'm Lynn McNeil. This is my sweet husband, Gary. Our, our sweet son, Matthew, uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer uh, right during COVID. And I remember so clearly uh, we were handing out food boxes at our Lake Carroll campus and he called me. He said, Mom, there's something on my brain. They found something on my brain. And he was on his way to the hospital and um, turned out he did in fact have brain cancer that he fought so bravely and he was on fire for the Lord and he told everybody about Jesus everywhere he went. He had the joy of the Lord was his strength and we're so thankful for that. His, uh, he was married uh, to Mandy, a sweet, wonderful, perfect match for him, high school sweethearts and they, had, they have two children, Madison and Elias, who are now 10 and eight. And Matthew uh, was very courageous and fought hard, and he went home to be with Jesus January 2nd of this year. You know, part of the struggle is it's just not a natural thing for a child to go before a parent. And that was really hard. And just those early days, thinking about his future and thinking about the disease and how it's gonna be treated. Man, we had some hard days just trying to hang on and uh, praying and just calling out to the Lord. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what the future was going to be. We could anticipate that, but man, we were praying for healing. Mm -hmm. And uh, But there were some tough days. And uh, even when we go to bed at night, we just lay in bed and just, just pray. Mm -hmm. And there were tears and there was sadness. Mm -hmm. 
but ultimately it was still the Lord and God's Word that gave us strength and all our friends that were praying for us. We could feel the power of the prayers. That was hard. That was hard on, on this mama to see um, him struggling. And there were some really dark moments for me. It was just hard. It was just hard to watch this once cute, big um, working out guy all the time to become this frail, um, weak um, young man. It was a tough time. It was a tough time watching all that. But we're stronger because of all that. Um, and um, he was faithful. He was faithful. Joy isn't being happy in the circumstances. Joy is recognizing who Jesus is, what he's done, and we kind of claim those promises. And that's what really sustained us. And many of you mm. prayed for us and encouraged us with calls and cards. Mm. And boy, that's what gave us real strength Amen. in the midst of the struggle. That brought yes. joy to our lives. Yes. Well, aren't you thankful for testimonies of God's grace? Can I take you back to that definition I gave you from Miss Kay? What is joy? Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. So what would I say to you today? I would say don't be afraid. Choose joy. Don't be afraid. Choose joy. The Bible tells me that he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful. He will complete it. Whatever today looks like, he's got you. You see, the greatest thief of joy in our life is control. That's why the only antidote is to surrender control to Jesus. Whether you're a Christ follower who recognizes, I need to do that again. Or whether you've never taken that step to trust Jesus with your life. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Right where you are. You're a Christ follower. You, you've already committed to Paul's at 210 every day this week and tell Jesus you're going to choose joy but maybe you'd pause right now and say Lord I, I choose joy maybe you need to forgive somebody right now maybe you need to look past a problem that you're struggling with Maybe you just need to embrace the uncertainty and trust His sovereignty. Maybe you need to receive His forgiveness or be reminded that He's already forgiven you. But somebody's hearing these words and you've never trusted Jesus. Like those in our last service that began a relationship with Christ. God's brought you here so that this could be the day of your salvation. Like the shepherds and then the wise men who would see Jesus for the first time. That's what God wants for you today. He just wants you to see Jesus for who he is. The Savior. The one can deal with your sin. 
the Christ, the one God's chosen to help you out. The Lord. The one who can be in control. You can trust him today. Would you tell him that you trust him right now? You don't have to pray these words, but sometimes you just don't know what to say. Maybe you'd pray this to God. You'd just say, Jesus, just tell him, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven and saved. I believe you're my Savior. I believe you're the one God chose to help me out of this. I believe you are the Lord. So here I am. And I surrender control. But I'm not going to be afraid. Because today and for the rest of my life, I'm going to choose to follow you. Here I am. tell him thank you. Just say thank you Jesus. Now real quickly, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. But somebody here prayed that prayer for the first time. Maybe you've been an okay person or you're very religious. You've gone through a lot of religious things like confirmation or catechism but for the first time you surrendered control of your life to Jesus. I just want to celebrate with you. I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you or draw attention to you. But but I'd like to know. If that's you, if you just prayed that prayer and began that relationship with Jesus, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Just right where you are. I, I see one of you back there. That's awesome. Welcome to God's family. Others of you, you just prayed that prayer, beginning that relationship with Christ. Just slip your hand up. If you did that, that's the most important thing you could ever do. Welcome to God's family. God, I thank you that we can trust you. That no matter what we have experienced, no matter what we face, the uncertainties of life, the problems, people, our uncertainty about how to go forward. There's nothing that we can't trust you with, even our past failures. Thank you, God, that you are so great. Your grace is greater than our greatest sin. So, God, we lean into you. We thank you that there is joy when we come into your presence because you are the God who was. You are the God who is. You are the God who will be forever. We worship you, Lord, and we declare there is joy in us because of you, and there is joy in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you now in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship him together.